Hi, I'm Cheryl and Fenn. Hello, this is Christabel. Hello, this is Michael Horse. Do you enjoy listening to Twin Peaks Unwrapped, the podcast? Have you picked up our book yet? Twin Peaks Unwrapped, the book. That has over 100 cast and crew who have contributed to this book. And it's, I think people really love it. I mean, we also have community commentary where a lot of the community have participated in this. It's just a great book. We recommend you pick it up at bluerosemag.com. Thank you for your interest and for your enthusiasm and, and keeping Twin Peaks alive. Edition of Twin Peaks Unwrapped. I'm your host, Brian Kazowska. And via the internet is Ben Durant via internet. And we're with the Counter Esperado team, Carl and Jubal. Hi, guys. Hey. Hello. And we are going to talk about Twin Peaks The Return Part 14, which originally aired on August 13, 2017. And the title is We Are Like the Dreamer. So this is a great, <laughs> a great part, I think. What do you guys think? Yeah. 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 Uh, I would put this up there with part eight, uh, but in the in a sense where it's, it's almost kind of like on the opposite side where part eight was just kind of out of nowhere. Uh, th- this one felt like it had just as much like, you know, just as many uh, turns, but it was with the classic characters, you know, so uh, it, it, it compares really well with part eight, I think. Definitely, and I think it even maybe starts trying to explain Part 8 a little bit. I mean, we definitely have some callbacks to Part 8 as we get into this. Almost as if uh, the you know people who are sort of like the detractors of Part 8 would now be kind of saying, oh, I see, you know, <laughs> I think I can see where this is starting to play in, you know. The show starts in uh, Buckhorn, South Dakota, and we've got Gordon Cole calling Lucy <laughs> in Twin Peaks, and <laughs> And he starts up with, uh, he's saying to Lucy, have you been there all these years? <laughs> and she's basically saying, well, I want a home and I want a vacation. And but it was, it's funny, the two of them, because, you know, Cole can't always hear and Lucy's always kind of spacey. So I thought it was great to have them kind of have a conversation. Um, I, I just wanted to point out that um, some people pointed out that because of Gordon's kind of mystical hearing problems, when Lucy said Bora Bora, it's possible he could have heard, you are being so boring. <laughs> and that could be why he was just sort of sitting there at the end going. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like Frank Truman was the one that was reaching out to uh, Gordon Cole there about the, the missing pages from Laura Palmer's diary. Nothing about anything else, just about the diary and that there were two Coopers. The, the key didn't get mentioned, did no. it? No. The whole chair, the whole um, going off to... Uh, Jack Rabbit Palace. None of that was mentioned. So again, I question whether are these being in the? Are we watching this in the right order here? 
Oh, yeah. I'm definitely certain that the order is playing with us. Yeah. I feel like they omitted that information from Cole because they don't know what's going to happen. I, I kind of feel like that's their mission to do. And I don't know if they told that information to Cole, what would you say about that? You wouldn't know what they're talking about. So I kind of feel like yeah. that information was not important to him anyway. Like, he doesn't need to know what they're going to do. It's plunking right. all over again for these guys. So I'm yeah. what's plunking in season two. I thought about the whole <laughs> scenario. They got the, I'm like, it's all over, you know? They're going to do splunking. That's funny. And the next yeah. thing we have... Albert and Tammy uh, hanging out together, and Albert talks about the first case ever related to the Blue Rose. I really enjoyed the uh, this, this sort of like new figure, well, the image of of Cole and uh, um, Jeffries uh, as young agents working together was a really uh, kind of nice uh, to think about. But also the it's kind of funny because the the it almost seems obvious now because the blue rose is not does not exist in nature you know um you know kind of and so that was it was kind of funny that it really is that simple i feel like the blue rose means that i feel like something that has not come from this world yes and i'm pretty yeah. sure wrapped in yeah. plastic or john thorne i'm pretty sure had brought this up either in wrapped in plastic or in his his book um, the essential wrapped in plastic because I definitely remember this before that it's not in nature. Tammy goes one step further, basically. And I think I missed it the first time, but I actually watched it a few times and I realized she then said Lois Duffy was on the floor who got shot. She is not natural, so she, as in I'm thinking she's manufactured or something. I don't know. She's she was conjured up and, and I'm like, is this foreshadowing? Or are we going to see Mr. C and Cooper almost have the same scenario? to the point of we don't know which one is shot or one will shoot the other and will kind of resemble the story they're telling. I kind of felt like this, this could be foreshadowing. I got that feeling. Yeah, uh, it, it definitely calls to mind this uh, notion that, that all the way back that, you know, one of them has to die. Um, although the situation with the real Dougie uh, being sucked in instead of Mr. C, I think sort of... Uh, uh, you know, everything's up for grabs because that was a, he figured out a loophole, you know. So, you know, now that we have two, you know, Coopers in the world, and when that's yeah. not supposed to be the case. And Tammy also right. mentions a, a tulpa, which I don't know much about, but I think it's had to do with uh, you think it, it exists. So, the idea of a tulpa is usually described as a thought form, and it comes from Tibet, but it comes from Tibet by a mistranslation or misunderstanding. Um, by this very, very interesting um, fin de sickle character called Alexandra David Neal. And what she did was she was she was involved with a lot of Western occultism, Golden Dawny sort of stuff. Then she went to Tibet, which was seen as kind of the Ultima Thule sort of uh, secret closed world at the time. Uh, she hung out with a bunch of Tibetans, and the process of a thought form was explained to her, and how, what she thought it was was basically a summoning that through will and a possibly one's own will or a collective group will, one could create the thought of a being, the thought of a, um, uh, the image of a person who would um, take on a certain amount of real um, 
interaction and eventually physical form. That's not... Uh, tulpa turns out actually not to be a Tibetan word. It's a corruption of tulku, which is holy man. And their idea of a thought form is just that, well, everything's a thought form. Much like we're all part of the same dream, uh, but who's the dreamer? We're all um, just uh, projections of one overmind. Uh, we're all part of the same illusion. Um, but and also for Twin Peaks, though, it works out really well. The idea of this tulpa, it's because one part of the dream is kind of rebelled against the rest of the dream, wants its own selfhood. That's pretty much what um, Mr. C, or as we call him, DC, wants. And so he's the tulpa, which just as for Alexandra David Neal, uh, eventually rebelled and became... Uh, originally it was a fat, jolly uh, friar. She imagined it like a... Um, a European monk, but it slowly became sinister, more and more sinister, and she had to take steps to basically exercise it. DC is taking steps to make certain he can't get exercised, is one kind of plot line, one kind of interpretation that we see happening in the return. Maybe. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Diane comes in and they have a talk with Diane, and they bring up a whole, they they want to bring up that night uh, the last time she saw Cooper because it relates to Major Briggs. And it's interesting again she doesn't really want to talk about that night. She's really bothered by it, and it makes me still wonder: is she really texting with Mr. C? I know it seems like it is, but I'm, I still question whether is she really talking with the person who claims to be Jeffries, and we. Or what we're learning is we learn that her half sister is Janie, Jane, yeah, like is Dougie's wife there, and it's like could she actually? It's what a coincidence that is. It's just too much of a coincidence, and it makes me think could she actually be texting with Janie? Well, I think that that her texting is definitely going through some sort of encryption service. You know, it's probably a third party. Uh, which might explain the uppercase, lowercase question in her in texts. I just really get this feeling that Janie E is kind of clueless on the whole matter, you know? Um, I mean, she's smart, but I mean, she's not in on it, you know? I thought Janie E, that whole world, was created inside the subconscious of Mr. C. She would sure. keep Cooper from ever having full control over his body. But uh, that's not being the case anymore with a lot of other, you know, there's too much stuff to prove against that theory. Diane... She, she kind of looked away when she said, we're strange sisters. She, but she knew too much information. It's always possible that she thinks that she's actually working with um, another faction, whether that's Jeffries or Gerard or uh, somebody else we haven't met yet, even though there's only four hours left. <laughs> My gut feeling is that Diane is, uh, is being presented to look, you know, to make us think that she is a double agent or that she's working with Mr. C, but I have a feeling there's going to be a big twist on, on that. And, you know, there'll either be that other element or it's not what it looks like. Cause a lot of stuff is turning out to be not what it looks like. I, I'm for that because a, I want to like Diane. So, I have to declare that right out there. But also, Lynch has a an interest with, um, uh, just like Cole's um, um, miscommunication in, through his electronic uh, earpieces, he's got a deep-seated interest in how mediated technology 
distorts our understanding of the world. Yeah, even going back to Cole and, uh, you know, talking to Lucy, you know, uh, one way to interpret Cole's sudden silence was basically kind of feeling like I'm not getting anywhere with communication. You know, it's sort of like, you know, setting up a Skype call for a podcast. There's often a little bit of like, you know, talking over each other. And, you know, it, it is a naturally awkward thing, you know, and once you get in the swing of it, you know, like now we're fine. So there's like, <laughs> you know, I, I think that that's something that is uh, that rings true in the real world. But with with uh, Lynch and Frost, they are kind of pushing it into uh, more surreal territory, you know. And so it's something that, you know, communication technology is everywhere now in a way that it wasn't in 1990. And I think that they're, you know, that's one of the major themes. And, of course, communication through electricity, uh, you know, it goes all the way back to the beginning. And so now there's just so much more of it that it's uh, pervasive. And, you know, and that's kind of like goes back to, uh, you know, the window washer when he comes in and, and you know, uh, Cole winces. I, I just love all the wincing that Lynch does in the show. <laughs> you know, where, the, you know, he looks like it's like a silent scream, you know, that he's doing. And then he, he turns it down. But there, there's that thing where it's just and it's always sudden. It's always something that just kind of comes out of nowhere and uh, and like just kind of like blindsides him and and uh, and incapacitates him for a brief period. And I think that's kind of a microcosm of this whole theme of electronics. Gordon Cole then calls the FBI branch in Las Vegas and says that uh, go find the, the Joneses and that they might be armed and dangerous. <laughs> you would think Diane would know the location, but he just basically says, go look for them. <laughs> and then the FBI branch is, I mean, what, what is it, the assistant there saying, how will we ever f- figure out which Jones it is? And <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Another scene with the director there, and he's like, "That's our job." <laughs> That's why they put the I in the FBI. <laughs> that reminded me of an anime, um, like a moment you'd see in an anime, you know, with exaggerated emotions and like the way that he slams his fist on the desk. It looked almost like choppy animation or something. <laughs> <laughs> it was a great scene. Uh, I also think it's the beginning of the payoff of the brothers Fusco running da- um, Dougie's prints. Because when you run uh, prints through a database like that, they keep track of who did what. So I think the way that the FBI is going to find them is they're going to uh, run a database search and find out that, oh, hey, there's this Dougie Jones uh, who's had his fingerprints run. And him, his fingerprints are the same as, as Agent Dale Cooper. That's probably important. Yeah, I don't think you can run prints that say that somebody is a missing FBI agent and it doesn't ping somewhere, you know. <laughs> so Diane leaves and then uh, Gordon Cole tells Albert and Tammy about uh, Frank Truman's message about the two Coopers. And then he goes in and talks about Monica Belushi's dream he had. <laughs> Do we want to talk about that? I love it. <laughs> I want to talk about Monica Bellucci. Yeah, I heard on a, I, I can't remember which podcast it was, but there was a, um, a story that apparently uh, Lynch had a exhibition in Paris uh, at the time of that filming and that that little corner cafe was across the street from the uh, museum that he was he had a showing so that literally he just went across the street met up with Monica Bellucci they uh, shot the scene you know he got his France tax credit <laughs> went back to the museum or whatever <laughs> a lot of us have heard that they'd, they'd shot some in Paris and we're thinking it's going to be some strange elaborate thing maybe something related to the Red Room or something like that and this could have been it this could have been the yeah. scene that it was just it could have been that at a cafe yeah. or so. So Cole and her are sitting down, and she gives the message about how there's this ancient phrase, we, we're like the dreamer who dreams and then lives inside the dream. Well, that's an Upanishads quote. Uh, 
Yeah. <laughs> we are like us, the spider. We weave our life and then move along in it. We are like the dreamer who dreams and then lives in the dream. This is true for the entire universe, the Mundaka Upanishad. Wow. There's these, these layers where there's like a dream within a dream. We have Gordon Cole dreaming, and then he's going back into time where Cooper is saying he had a dream. <laughs> and, like, and then if, we had, if they had showed it, it would have been Aiden Drefferty saying, we live inside a dream. <laughs> it's like a dream within a dream within a dream. Uh, Inception. Yeah, if you thought Inception was weird, th- that's nothing compared to The Return. There was such a startling moment, you know, where he looks over his shoulder. He's like, you see the older, you know, uh, the older Cole looking over his shoulder, and then you see the younger Cole. And for some reason, that just almost made me jump, you know? <laughs> yeah, it did make me jump. Oh, this is so good. Sounds like the edge of my feet. We're about a week away from the twi- 25th anniversary of firewalk with me maybe a little over a week or so but so i i remember going to the theaters back then 25 years ago and that whole thing where jeffries is pointing at cooper saying do you know who this is and it's like jeffries thinks he's bob or he thinks or at the time i thought he thought he was bob but now we can look at this and say oh no he's saying that there's there's a double there's a doppelganger there's a <laughs> there's mr c i mean like right and adds a new layer to firewalk with me i i agree that Jeffrey's knows, and Jeffrey's is like all over the place. That's what everybody's theory is that he, he goes through time, so he would know all of this. So if he was already in the future and he came back and was, you know who this is, that question has more weight to it now than it did before. I got the feeling that the Jeffrey's that we see in that scene is, uh, is kind of early in this process. You know, he's not masterminding anything, he's still sort of like recoiling in terror at everything, you know. and and then he gets sent back to uh, you know South America, and then you know is like screaming in the lobby of this hotel. <laughs> I have a question for you three, um, and this, it's been bothering me all week. I, because of this, you know, who's the, who's the ultimate dreamer? And you know, I know all of us will say it's Laura Palmer, or a majority of people say Laura Palmer, but sometimes I want to say it's Cooper. Um, and I want to know what you guys honestly think. Who would you think is the ultimate dreamer? I, I go back and forth every day. I think Cooper is an ultimate dreamer because he, he, when he dreams, he deciphers, he figures out in a bothersome and he, he works out the clues, which he's done numerous times. And then you have Laura Palmer, who could be the ultimate dreamer because she was in such a bad place. She had to create a place to escape. But, I mean, what do you guys think? Well, um, I would say that, uh, I mean, one of the reasons why it seems pretty, uh, no, not clear, but why I think it might be Laura is a couple reasons. One is that we have experiment slash mother inhabiting Sarah Palmer. And uh, and it may, and the only reason that we th- know of her as mother is because American Girl, who takes the form of Ronette Pulaski, says mother is coming. And uh, and the and that scene links up with uh, the scene in the in the New York mystery box. So, uh, you know, that is, the, I think, the most solid evidence, plus the, the fact that we keep hearing that Laura is the one that Laura is the dreamer. But my gut reaction over out of all of this is that there won't even really be any single dreamer revealed. I don't think that we're, it's going to be revealed that all of this is somebody's dream. I think maybe what's happening is that Laura's uh, subconscious or her spirit is possibly bleeding into 
the world, the symbols, her personal symbols. Rana Pulaski was important to her. She, uh, you know, was uh, one of the only sources of comfort to Laura during the darkest time of her life. And so I think that, you know, her personal symbol system is bleeding out into the real world. But I don't think that means that all of this is her dream. I definitely think Laura makes makes a lot of sense. Uh, only because uh, Gordon Cole was there, I was like, well, he could be the dreamer, right? Like he's he, we're, we're witnessing him having a dream within a dream, and he's having these mm-hmm. visions of Laura, and so maybe he and he is he is the creator of Twin Peaks. So is he not the ultimate dreamer? So I yeah. was like, yeah, I was using yeah. a meta as in going outside of Twin Peaks to basically <laughs> say he is the dreamer. <laughs> well, Lynch Frost are. Uh, as creators of uh, this immense and wonderful mind f of a um, piece of artwork, are definitely those who dream and then, um, in Gordon Cole's case, literally live inside the dream. I actually think, since a piece of artwork is communication, it's intended to be delivered to someone. Uh, to pass on an experience. I think that in a very real way, we are the dreamer, that we're creating this in our minds because unlike like an episode of um, Law & Order or um, another popular but essentially vacuous show, no, no shitting on um, Law & Order. I mean, it's well-written and everything, but it's not intended to make you think beyond, um, you know, the trope of law and order, the cops in the courtroom. This is supposed to make you think about things like what creates the universe? What is it that is actual reality? Who are we really? And I I think one of the things that Lynch has been interested in is um, self-awakening through meditation and uh, philosophical um, existentialism and journeys. Uh, one of the best lines in Dune, which he repudiates and hates and everything, but it's my second favorite of his films, is the dreamer must awaken. And that was not in the book. That was totally from him. So I think it's us who's the dreamer, the dreamer that must awaken and recoil a little bit at horror at uh, some of the psychological, philosophical, and possibly political messes that we're in. We've got to, you know, grab that golden shovel and dig ourselves out of the... In a very real sense, uh, especially uh, you guys or, you know, the people that have been doing podcasting and uh, and just almost like living in the Twin Peaks world, you know, in a, in a, in a very real sense, uh, Carl's right. And uh, there are some of us more than others are living in this dream <laughs> because you, you like you guys put in a lot of work every week on this stuff, you know, uh, and uh, and there it's part. It's actually, a, 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 you know, probably at least for now, a cornerstone of your lives. Right. I think we all do. I mean, yeah. the, the work that you guys put into it, I mean, you guys would be thinking about it a lot and researching. And so I think we're all of us. Are, put so much of our time into this show. Yeah, it's all I can think about lately. You know, it's all I can think about. And there are, there are other shows that I watch. You know, I watch Game of Thrones, but almost as a post-Twin Peaks cocktail, you know. It's like, <laughs> it's like uh, I have uh, other interests, but these are they're all subservient uh, to this, you know. And, uh, you know, that there may come a day where that's not the case. You know, I kind of hope so, honestly. Uh, <laughs> but uh, that for now, this is a, a pretty important thing and that, and there aren't really shows that I you know I like Star Wars but it's no I don't live in that world you know like I do with Twin Peaks you know 
So we get to the sheriff's station, and Chad is arrested just like that. I don't even really explain why Chad is arrested, but I guess we understand that it's related to drugs, probably. <laughs> he's arrested because he's Chad. He's one of those arrestable faces. No, I'm sure that I, I'm sure you met him, and he seems like the sweetest guy, that actor. He is a nice guy. He really is something yeah. up. The way that he holds his face in the show, he's unrecognizable. Like I've see, I see pictures of him, you know, actually from the fest and stuff, and he's unrecognizable. Like he kind of makes himself sort of like almost ape-like in the show, you know, where like he lets his face sag slightly and he pooches his lip out. Yeah, he, he, he's really good at. It. But I, what I, I've been really enjoying following him on Twitter because he'll like all of a sudden he'll tweet out, "God, how can you be mean to Lucy? Chad's a." <laughs> like he, as a Twin Peaks fan, he hates Chad as much as anyone. Yeah. <laughs> Aww, that's so great. So Chad's arrested, yeah. and then uh, Andy Hawk, Bobby, and Frank Truman are going to go up the mountain to find Jack Rabbit Powell. Oh, it was beautiful to see those woods. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was beautiful to see it, like, see it during the day, because quite often uh, the shots, I mean, yes, there'll be, like, the, the sort of B-roll, you know, insert shots of the, of the woods during the day, but normally we haven't spent a lot of time in the woods with the characters during the day. And so that was kind of nice to see. You know, it was actually a beautiful day. He didn't make it all sinister. It was just the sinister elements, you know, were in the, in you know, what was happening, not necessarily the mood. Because oftentimes you'll have the thing where, like, you'll be running through the, the woods at night and then somebody will have a flashlight, you know, like in Firewalk With Me where Leland is taking the girls through, you know. So uh, I really enjoyed that. You guys the book house boys? Is Bobby a book house boy? I bet he is. I'd say that he is now. But you get the sense that these guys, are, these guys that are doing this mission, are, are doing more than just, you know, being being police officers in Twin Peaks. But so this whole traveling in the woods thing kind of reminds me of season one, episode five, where Cooper, Truman, Hawk, and Doc Hayward travel to Jacques' cabin, and first they run into the log lady. But that whole kind of like just traveling through the woods brought me back. Jack Rabbit's palace is uh, the basis, the the form that it is, that stump, uh, is the basis for the uh, the giant's castle in the Purple World. I haven't matched them up, but yeah, the. The tower and the ca- the castle is designed based on the look of the stump. Yeah, it sure looks like it. Uh, do we have any confirmation from um, set designers or anything that they actually took it one from the other? Or I think it's uh, just if you look at a still of both, it's it's fairly clear that's what's happening. It is uncannily similar. A lot of people online are really uh, comparing those two together. You can definitely see a resemblance. And I'm wondering, uh, I kind of feel like a lot of stuff that was rolled out to us in those first four episodes, I wonder, I want to rewatch that because a lot of the stuff feels like those were the clothes and now we're seeing it in real life. And this being one of them. Like, it's like Season one or season two, when he has a dream and the, the clues are given out, and then Cooper just finds them. But here, this is all a lynch, so it's almost it's more abstract. So you see these mm-hmm. things, and now things resemble these things in the real world. And I kind of feel like we're getting to that point where if we look back at part three, I wonder if we're going to see more. We're going to, oh, that's that, or that's. Back next to that, and I kind of thought Chuck Rabbit's that whole tree does resemble that uh, castle, and it, I kind of feel there's probably more we're missing. I kind of feel like it, it, it stays in that uh, Twin Peaks sort of here's the clues, and then you're going to see them in real life. Uh, the pool of the golden liquid, you know, I wonder if that's the water. The woodsmen are saying, hey, this is the water, this is the well, drink full and descend, and this whole space is linked to the White Lodge. Then where does that put the woodsmen? 
you know, because I, I, I've been associating them with the Black Lodge, but I wonder if they're sort of a separate kind of thing, you know, like if they're if they're truly affiliated with the Black Lodge or if they cross over. Because you remember the scene above the convenience store in Fire Walk With Me, you kind of had people of different, because I, I associate the Tremont slash Chalfonts as being sort of White Lodge beings, but they're sitting there with Bob and, and the Woodsman and... Uh, and the little man so affiliation is starting to sort of blur here like where you know where who belongs to what lodge kind of thing I feel like they belong to the black lodge the woodsman they do seem like it to me and and could you know this is kind of a white golden creamy oil that's the gateway maybe to the white lodge and maybe the black oil is is the black water that would go to the black lodge i wonder what it smells like because we know we know what the oil smells like <laughs> earl what did he have to say honey and creamy or something like that? he had some kind of thing about like what he, what was like the White Lodge? Milk and honey, the land of milk and honey. Yeah, once they leave Jack Rabbits, it's about 250 yards away due east, and that's where they find this smoky electrical area with a naked lady that happens to be Nido from Part Three. I'm sorry, we, that's where Cooper had saw the woman in uh, in the purple world there. So. I guess we can assume when she yeah. fell out of the sky there that she landed on in right. peaks. Right, and it's interesting that she's there first because they get there, she's on the ground, and then they say it's, what is it, 253 or whatever it was supposed to be, and uh, and then the portal opens. So it's it's interesting that she was there before. She didn't fall out of the portal. She was already there. Yes, when the vortex opens up in the sky and then Andy is gone, I'm calling it the White Lodge, he, he meets up with the giant who also is the, it says he's the fireman. And he was originally uh, credited as seven question marks, which is seven letters yep. for fireman. Seven letters, yeah, seven letters and fireman. Yeah. Some people would figure it was the fireman because with the, the Twin Peaks soundtrack, I think his music was called yeah. the fireman. I still feel like the giant is the fireman. I mean, it was Cooper who was calling him the giant, so I still right. feel like it could still be one and the same person. Mm-hmm. And even his gestures with his hand going up felt very much like the giant. Yeah, I think it's the same character. It's just that he never gave his name to Cooper. Prior. Yeah, his scene in part eight was uh, sort of like a slow motion version of what a fireman does. They gets an alarm and then he goes and he finds out what's going on, you know, and then responds to an emergency. <laughs> it just took like eight minutes. Yeah. I wonder about time. Like, it's like, were they sending the Laura Globe to that time period? Or was she being sent to the future? Or like, it's still very hard to figure out. Yeah, because we have the fricket thing, you know, the uh, the frog moth, uh, <laughs> as it's also called, uh, going back to 1956, um, and, you know, so is what, roughly 10 years after the, the nuclear test, and people are still, uh, you know, I think that the, the girl could be one of two people, either Sarah Palmer, which makes probably the most sense. I don't know if their ages match up right, but I think they might. Uh, and then the other one would be um, uh, the girl in in uh, Olympia in 1975 the woman in Olympia might also be that person but but uh because I can't remember if in the secret history my my copy of the secret history is is on loan out so I can't verify but um there isn't really much about Sarah Palmer in the book I don't think because I I don't know if it was you know if she's has lived there her whole life or not right there really isn't anything about her and of course if if John Bernardi's uh, time quake theory is correct then um, her, then her age, well, that, well, then everything's up for grabs. Um, uh, her That's age um, could be different. Uh, she uh, could have lied. Um, she could be far older than she appears to be by 20 years. Um, yeah, yeah. It, there's just 
But how cool is it that it's Andy? <laughs> it couldn't be anybody else. The more I think about it, I hear from other fans, the more it does make so much sense. He is, like, the purest of heart. Like, he is, like, good yeah. nature, and he has no, like, he has no agenda. We always thought that Andy was the fool of the tarot deck. It, it seems like in the return, things might have shuffled a bit, and now um, Dougie, A.C., Cooper seems to be the fool character where, in persisting in his foolishness, he becomes wise. Andy, though, more and more to me is only the, um, he's only wearing the mask of a fool. In in reality, he's more the knight in the Arthurian tales who actually finds the grail. Uh, that knight was, I can't remember their name, but he wasn't the greatest of them all. He wasn't the strongest in combat, um, but his heart was the most pure, and that's why he was able to find it. And one thing that's interesting about him too is that uh, uh, this kind of gets you know to my theory about all of the uh, the lodge entities is sort of not being able to really communicate directly with us because we're you know they're sort of existing on different multiple planes you know um, but they communicate they communicate to us through uh, symbols and uh, you know so the idea that you know to in or they. Mike is able to uh, manipulate, you know, the whole situation with Mr. C and um, the Mitchums by giving Bradley Mitchum a dream about a pie. And and he would have gotten the pie out of Cooper's head because that is a a potent symbol, Uh, you know. And so, yeah. And so I'm thinking what what, what Andy strikes me as somebody who would be really receptive to symbols, you know, by sitting him down like... Uh, Frank w- Truman would have overthought, you know, would have overthought the situation. Andy sat there with a, in a in a position of complete receptivity, and he was able to receive these symbols. Because you know, the uh, the fireman, rather than giving him a bunch of exposition, he only speaks to him enough to just kind of say, "I am the fireman." He raises his hand and then fills his head with a bunch of symbols. Uh, and so he's communicating on a deeper level. We look at Andy and see somebody who might be kind of dumb because he's not very well spoken. You know, it's like, you talk mean, you know, and he's like, you know, going off on Albert that one time, you know, but because he's not good with, he's not good with words, but he understands a lot more than he seems to. And the, the firemen would have picked up on that because they're communicating on a level that is outside of conscious thought and linear thinking. So the giant gives him a box, and this box smokes, and I'll just run down basically what, what Andy saw. He, he, he saw the experiment, and then he saw the experiment creature vomiting out Bob. We see the gas station with electricity and smoke, and then we see the woodsman surrounding it. We see then a close-up of, of a woodsman saying, got a light, and then we see uh, electrical wires, and we see the screen, a girl screaming, learning of the news that Laura's uh, died. We have Laura surrounded by angels. We have Cooper splitting into two, into both uh, regular Cooper and Mr. C. We have a phone ringing, which to me looks a lot like Truman getting a call from Cole. Andy, uh, we have a, Andy uh, leading Lucy somewhere to show her something in the sheriff's station, which doesn't see, hasn't happened yet. And then uh, I would say her name wrong, Niado, uh, saying something to Andy. And then we have the electrical pole with the number six on it. So all those images are flashed. And it seems like the image, we see an image and then at least another image that seems to explain it more, at least on most of these. Andy's going to figure it out. Yeah, it's, yeah. Andy's going to figure, he'll know everything. I'm interested to know about the Lucy thing. 
Why did you take Lucy yeah. and put her aside somewhere? I'm very interested in that. Like, everything else we know for the most part, but that scene is really interesting. I love the image of, of Cooper splitting into two. I mean, it, I mean, John Thorne has an essay about uh, about the, the whole two Coopers, and it just made me think, it's like, okay, it's great to visually see this, that we had one Cooper, and then he splits into two Coopers, and the idea that maybe he, he he's not whole, that there's only a part of Cooper. Not to say, I know there's some theories out there that that Cooper can never come become who he is again unless we destroy Mr. C. And I don't know if I agree with that, but it's, I like the visual image here of, of seeing that he was one and then becoming two. That's true because what's going on with Dougie, you know, uh, Dougie Coop is a little different than just being his good side. You know, he, he's also, as the evolution of the arm said, non-existent. You know, I mean, he was pushed because he seemed to have his faculties about him when he was talking to Nido in the purple world. And then he goes through the electrical outlet and it seems to have his have had all of his memories wiped and then all that's left all that's left of him uh, are potent symbols coffee and pie and uh, the things he it's liked. like he's escaped from the underworld but to do so he's had to swim the river of Lath, the river of forgetfulness so he he's made it back but not all the way back if you know what i mean well, it's interesting that Nido um, has returned because I thought that, you know, she'd be just falling forever. But she was the last person to really see him um, while he was still Cooper. There's no really reason to suspect this other than my love of Star Trek and um, Spock sticking his memories and bones at the end of um, Star Trek Two and saying, remember. But it could be that Nido has access to or can unlock AC's memories. And that is why she's important. And that's why other people want to kill her. And that's why she's back in Twin Peaks. Wow. I like yeah. that. Wow. Yeah. yeah, I like that. Yeah. When, when she's you, like a translator. You way that, far. <laughs> yeah. As you were saying that, like, could she be a beacon that's going to attract Mr. C, uh, not Mr. C, but uh, Dougie? to come towards her. Um, and I'm wondering there's a connection there where he's going to be compelled somehow, some way to come to Twin Peaks because of her. Well, I think the FBI is going to find Dougie, you know. You know, FBI is going to find Dougie, and then they'll, they'll probably Cole and the gang is, are going to um, head down to Las Vegas. I mean, that would be, like, the most obvious answer, but it'll probably be something different. <laughs> well, there's always Philip uh, Gerard and... Philip Gerard, the Red Room, and the Firemen all seem to be acting on uh, AC's behalf. He's got some powerful entities in his corner, too, so... All of our locations, I think, except for Las Vegas so far, has had these vortexes, these gateways, so that might be another solution. Maybe we have to go through something to get to Twin Peaks. Or... If we go back to part three, uh, and you know how Nido was uh, basically trying to warn Cooper to not go through the outlet that was at the number 15 outlet, and then and then they go up and she flips the switch and then he goes back down after Nido flies away and we have American Girl. It's, like, it's almost like flipping the switch uh, moved him to a different power station and then on the wall is the number three and then he goes through that one. And I, I wonder if the 15 was... Uh, was Mr. C's lighter, uh, you know, cigarette lighter uh, in the car, or if that was something else. Because what that is, is that's a temporary way, you know, basically a temporary way into our world, whereas uh, the portals are just kind of there. They seem to be something that's that's always there. Maybe they're not always open. 
but the outlet are a secondary way through. Yeah. And I like the idea that it's a different station because the American Girl had a fireplace, and I don't think we saw a fireplace when we were first when he first came in there. So it didn't. It did seem like a different location in that area. So yeah, yeah. And I'm actually wondering if, if Nido is Judy. Like I don't, we still haven't heard anything oh, about Judy. Yeah. I know we're, not, yeah. we're not talking about Judy, but uh, I you know there was talk about. I don't. Yeah, there was talk that maybe they were going to make Judy uh, Josie's sister, and I don't know. That was the whole idea they were working on Firewalk with Me. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. We I keep thinking we're going to have to have hear from Judy, and my, my, right now my top picks are Laura Palmer or this uh, Nido. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, just and what is going on with her eyes? Like she's not in the same situation. She seems like an outsider to this world because she has this inability to communicate. And she's blind, but in this very specific way where she has, you know, her eyes look like they were healed over, but have had slits and they're, and they're stitched shut. You know, there's something going on with her that we haven't seen anything like, you know, elsewhere. Like even the giant makes more sense because he just, it happens to be really tall. But otherwise, he kind of communicates like everyone else does in that world. But Nido is different. So when Andy, when Andy does come back to the forest, he, he knows what he has to do. And he basically tells everybody, this is what we're going to do to take care of her. And it's, it's interesting to see him take direction and take control over the situation. Yeah, I wonder if this is a permanent situation for him now. Like if he's just going to be, I have, I have a feeling that what he was was sort of flush with information. And then he just kind of knew how to, that it, the most important thing was getting her back to the cell. And he'll probably kind of be back to his simple self but I, I feel like he's going to have to communicate some of that information and it's crazy because even if you were really smart in fact maybe even being really smart would be uh it would be harder uh, to communicate everything that was in that pool you know <laughs> that was that was shown to him yeah yeah everybody else um forgot like uh truman and hawk they had no clue what happened we didn't hear from bobby but we heard from those two they yeah. had no idea what happened and actually, this is very a reoccurring yeah. theme that's happening here in this in this part. Like, I mean, we started off with Albert and and Cole not remembering the whole uh, firewalk of me scene with Jeffries. So that's happening. And then at the end of this of this uh, part, we have these girls at the roadhouse, and the girl isn't remembering if her uncle's there. And so it seems like it's, it's happening a bunch of times where they're not remembering things. It's like people are starting to remember things that didn't happen previously which is something that would happen um, given um, John's uh, time quake theory if the two of the timelines that were shattered at the after the time quake if they started to uh, realign and come back together and merge you'd have odd objects that couldn't exist like um maybe a newspaper from 1912 announcing the successful and blue ribbon winning um, trip of the Titanic across the uh, North Atlantic, or people would start remembering things that didn't happen before, which, you know, is why Albert is sitting there kind of going, I'm starting to remember that too. How do you start to remember something? You know, after uh, Andy comes back, well, you know, like as you you mentioned, uh, Truman, Hawk, and Bobby all walk back to Jack Rabbit's palace, but you notice that it's three different versions. Like uh, like Hawk takes three different routes, but ends up in the same spot. So that's where I think what we're seeing is is three subtly different timelines 
converging. It's like it, it's like collapsing into one. Collapsing into one. Yeah. There is this image of like of them walking back and they dissolving and then showing up in other spots. And for me, I, I made an animated gif on Twitter of this, but it's like it reminded me of the woodsman in part eight where Ray shoots Mr. C and all of a sudden these woodsmen show up and they're like dissolving in and out and they're all over the place. And then I was thinking, as I was thinking of this, like, oh, isn't this kind of funny? These men in the woods that are the sheriff department, they are woods men. (laughs) Just because they're in the woods. And I mean, I'm not saying that they're they're evil woodsmen, but I thought it was kind of funny to play on words that these guys are men in in the woods. Yeah, it's like we're getting the objective view of of the sheriff department uh, coming back into our reality. It's like we're getting an objective view just as with the woodsmen and Cooper and or Mr. C in part eight. I think what we're doing is we're seeing Ray's perspective on it. I didn't think about this just until now. That it was interesting that we have somebody who, who I guess was injured. We have Mr. C and then we have uh, Nido who I guess she wasn't really injured but she was still kind of she needed to be taken care of and protected. And so I I still wonder if you have like the good side, the good woodsmen and then you have the evil woodsmen and you're kind of seeing it both sides playing out. Could be. Yeah. They look different than the ones in Firewalk with me, but that might just be like a you know like another Star Trek thing where it's like the the Klingons looked, you know, had the ridges on their heads after after a certain point, you know. It's like a that maybe it's just a, deci- a later decision for the return to make them blackened. But maybe they're different altogether. Who knows? So at the sheriff jail, we have Nido is being taken care of by Lucy and Andy. We have Chad in, in a cell, <laughs> and then we have a drunk guy in in a cell. What, I think that's probably Billy. I agree. Yeah, I think it's Billy too. Yeah. And I think he's on a lot of Sparkle, and I think uh, Sparkle is actually tuning people in to the other side in some fashion. It's uh, not just a hey, this is a nice Saturday night special sort of drug. It's actually an entheogen, and it's letting people see too much of reality, which is why it fucks him up so bad. Yeah, he's drooling. I don't know if that's just, like, saliva and blood, or if he's drooling something else, but there's that pool at his feet, you know? <laughs> that was just such an in- such an insane scene, because it's, and it's perfect for, for Chad, because... <laughs> It's it's great to see you know someone who is uh, that terrible who has absolutely no context for anything that's going on in front of him and it's like <laughs> where this guy's repeating repeating the Nido's chirps kind of um, fitting that Chad is now suffering from the effects of some drug that he could have been peddling you know he's peddling drugs you know and now he has in with some guy who possibly could be on the same drugs he was selling. Hoisted by one's own petard, caught in one's own net. Nick, knock, knock. Blood or the goop or whatever's coming out did remind me of the the um the child that was sick. You know, there was a whole accident with the shooting at the double R, and Bobby comes out and there's a lady honking her horn, and then you go over there and and she's and something's coming out of this kid's mouth and stuff. Just, I don't know if it's the same group. Yeah. yeah, well, my theory is that she, this girl has been infected by a fricket. Like, I, my thought is that she wasn't um, on the drug, uh, that, but that she had the same, it was the same situation as the girl in 1956. They're about the same age. You know, she might have got her hands on some sparkle, but she seemed to be about, like, 12 years old, which seems to be a little bit young for 
to be on that stuff, but who knows? I mean, I, I think that there's something descending on, we're getting little hints of something bigger that's descending on Twin Peaks, and uh, you know, whether it's uh, just a widespread drug addiction or a swarm of frog moths, who knows? <laughs> it does seem like it's uh, Lynch's uh, kind of tribute to the zombie sort of, the zombie explosion that's happened recently that it's a widespread impacting epidemic sort of deal and it looks like you're seeing like the patient zero patient ones of that epidemic starting to filter out and you guys are talking about how maybe the sparkles is maybe putting him in another state of mind and maybe remind me of the one-armed man mike's jalapero doll and actually, I think yeah. that was put. Uh, uh, Renette was actually got drugged with that as well. But there was actually a deleted something deleted in, in a script where Major Briggs actually was put on that, and he was saying how it was altering his state. And in the original, the, a lot of drugs were actually blockers. Um, Sarah was drugged with um, probably some kind of opiate to put her to sleep. Laura was taking coke so that she could stay awake, so that she wouldn't dream and. Then later on, Sarah's drinking so that she doesn't have to face things. And all these are, you know, drugs that, you know, block one's awareness. And it seems like Sparkle does the exact opposite. Because the one time we see somebody on it, they're wide-eyed and in the sunshine. And it's just a beautiful scene of somebody experiencing the full range of sensory input. And you take too much of that, and you could get extra sensory input, which you see into enough into the abyss, bad things see back into you. So at the Great Northern, James and Freddie are security guards, you believe, or they work for security, and they're hanging out chatting. And uh, do we want to talk about that scene? And I guess that's where we get to learn more about the green glove. Yeah, what I love about this scene is that uh, is that this, the guy's uh, story is like this long, shaggy dog tail that's completely absurd, except we know he's telling the truth. It's like, you know, it's like if, if you had just heard that story, it would have sounded like a load of nonsense, but because of the detail of the fireman, which has been reinforced in the scene with Andy, we know this guy's telling the truth. It's like, oh, perfectly reasonable considering what we're given, you know? <laughs> you guys think the scene takes place before they go into the roadhouse in the very first episode. It's weird how the very first episode, they're in the roadhouse, and then this one, James is talking about, I can't wait to go to the roadhouse tonight, and they're together. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Because, I mean, it sounds like they had a conversation, though, about Renee, and she's married, and that you might go to the roadhouse again. So they do talk about James has been there before scoping out Mm -hmm. Renee. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's just a regular, maybe, but, uh, I mean, it could take place before before that but yeah it's it's yeah, it's hard to know um what role all of these you know these if it's just to sort of disorient us or if it's just for a mood purpose but all of these di- you know out of sync you know uh stories but uh it really does feel almost like the forwards backwards motion that's in the purple room with nido where you get uh it's it's almost like that's that's the the most intense you know, uh, effect that that's happening. And then when we see what we see in the rest of the show is like, a, it's wider instead of moment to moment, it's like hours or days. Jubal put out a good point about the Nido room, about how everything looks like it's back and forth. It could just be that in that one particular space, we saw all the different timelines because that was a point where they all converged. 
The Green Glove made me laugh a lot because there is an odd conspiracy theory slash legend slash just plain out weirdness thing uh, called the Master of the Green Gloves, who was supposedly a uh, Tibetan tulku or a powerful um, magician or holy man from Tibet, who Karl Haushofer, a Nazi explorer and um, diplomat, um, brought back along with the mas- this guy who's called the Master of the Green Gloves, his acolytes, uh, and who did something, nobody knows what, in Nazi Germany leading up to uh, the Allied um, uh, retaking of Berlin. And they don't know exactly what he was doing, but they did find them all mysteriously dead when the Allies retook that portion of Berlin. So, Green Glove, interesting part of just general occult weirdness. If uh, one of Lynch from Frost actually pulled that, uh, other than just saying, hey, it'd be funny to see this guy with a green garden glove on, I'm certain it was Frost, because that's one of those really obscure, odd details that Frost loves about the occultic world. Yeah, it reminded me of Wally Brando. Like that, that really did seem like my, uh, Frost's humor, which is I'm just I'm going to write this really long, insane monologue for this character to to deliver. Yeah, <laughs> and you know the history of this guy, the guy, the uh, this is bananas. This the Freddie, uh, I can't remember the name of the actor, but it's, this is his first role, and he was a YouTube personality that was he got famous uh, for. These videos where he would, I think his first one was like 25 accents that he could do. And then the, and then the next one was like 65 where you see this footage of him and he's just like on, on a phone having, you see one side of a phone conversation and every like few sentences he'd change into a different dialect. And apparently David Lynch saw this and, and contacted him and, you know, and said, you want a job? <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, you know, I got this cool project coming up and you should take, you know, we got just the role for you, you know, and he didn't know it was going to be Twin Peaks, of course, <laughs> you know. And so it, it's kind of a, it just, this insane situation where he's like uh, uh, just discovered by David Lynch via his YouTube videos. <laughs> That's so cool. Wow. You know, we have a green ring and now we have a green glove, these items that you wear on your hand that have some kind of special power. At least it's what we're being told. Noticing Diane earlier that uh, I'm sure, I mean, this may not mean anything, but when she sat down in, uh, in Gordon Cole's room, her dress and the chair were the exact same color of green. Uh, that that's probably just a random detail, but it was kind of an odd. It was the, that same kind of like forest green, you know. <laughs> After the conversation, Gene, you have to check on the furnace. I I was like, oh my god, they're in the same he's in the same hallway as the international pilot. That's what uh, I thought. Yeah, he's walking in. Yeah, yeah. I thought the same yeah, thing. It, yeah, and I was like, is that it? And then the door is making some weird noise. He's too scared. And of course, they don't give it. They don't give us the payoff. But I mean, I was like, really, really, this is so cool. They they put this in here. Um, you know, like the European pilot was where, where Bob was in. It was in the uh, yeah. He had the, he was surrounded by candles, and they went down to the basement. Truman and Cooper, and they had this whole uh, you know. I guess showdown there. Yeah, I, it's great that we we're all thinking the same thing. Yeah, that was in the hospital, uh, and this is in the Great Northern. But what this did make me think of is, of course, one, it's the source of the the tone that uh, Ben and Beverly are hearing. 
but two, uh, that perhaps the reason why the the hotel is a particularly strong, you know, uh, carrier of these energies is that it might be producing the most amount of electricity the closest to the rift or to the maybe Glastonbury Grove. But but it's it's going to because you look down there and it's like they make this point to show that I think it's producing its own electricity. And there, it could be a hydroelectric dam because of the waterfall, but, uh, you know, hydroelectric generator. So, uh, you know, that's a possibility is that it's the most electricity. So it's, it's kind of creating, it's attracting these things. So we get, then go to the Elks Point number nine bar. And Sarah goes there because she's probably run out of alcohol. So she's going to mm. hang out there and get herself a Bloody Mary. Yeah. Um, yeah, it basically proves that Sarah can take care of herself. <laughs> Truck drivers are harassing her. It's a world of truck drivers. Yeah, a world of truck drivers, right? And so, yeah, he's harassing her, and she basically says, you know, she finally gets fed up. At one point, she finally says, you know, she she will eat him. <laughs> she basically says, you know, she can take him and stuff. So, And then she stands up, and uh, she takes off her face. There's there's smoke and electric uh, electricity, sound, and tongue, and uh, a hand with a, uh, a black uh, finger, ring finger, and then a uh, smile with teeth. And then she puts her face back on and uh, she bites into him and kills him. Well, the first thing that you see looks like it's the uh, it's experiment because it looks like a face with just a hole for a mouth. Uh, so my thought is, is that, you know, I, I've been hearing people say, oh, you know, is, is she possessed by Bob? But no, this is, I think what I think what Bob is to this creature, what the xenomorph and alien was to the queen and aliens. You know, I think I think that it's like uh, it's we're dealing with something a lot more uh, advanced, I guess, for lack of a better term. And I think it's I think it might be experiment. But we're also you got the spirit bound. It's the ear of finger, you know, on the left ring finger. Uh, and then the mouth. Um, I, I've been seeing people looking for, looking at some of the characters like Laura Palmer's smile. Uh, and it has some, and it does resemble Laura Palmer's mouth, but I'm not completely convinced. I know you mentioned at the beginning of the show, Jewel, about it being connected to the mother, and I definitely, that makes the most sense, especially for story-wise, but I was wondering if it had to do with that, uh, that creature, what do you call it, a fricket? Well, it could be that the, well, the mother gave birth to the eggs, which gave, which, uh, eventually birthed fricket, means that that's part of mother if it's not mother herself either either way it seems like it's season three and we've leveled up because this is a, a bigger badass than even bob was and there's any of these electrical sounds which to me connects me to the woodsman so i i want to believe the woodsman's work for for her like for the for this creature and i you know we hear what, what was it? it was part 12 i think where hawk comes by uh, to see Sarah at her house, and there's some kind of noises in the kitchen. And I want to believe maybe that's the woodsman, maybe that's her, her people there in the house with her. Yeah, and it explains why she watches mostly violent stuff. You know, it's like uh, she's just she's just to see the, this empty pit full of violent energy, you know. <laughs> it's come to a point where drinking cannot contain her emotions anymore. And her emotions have gotten the best of her, and this is allowing... Uh, the woodsman to uh, infest, to ha- give, uh, have someone take a host. You know, the mother figure, maybe, yeah. the experiment figure, to have a host. 
That's what I want to believe. She did have the fricket inside of her. I think it. I mean, it could be something that just lays dormant until until you know your production of Garmin Bosia is so high, which would have been you know if there's any. She's probably the most miserable person in Twin Peaks. You know, uh, understandably so. And so I, I think her grief and her guilt. You know, she. I'm sure she felt guilty for not doing things. You know, but just being being part of that cycle of abuse was enough to sort of push her over uh, into a downward spiral. And this thing has been feeding on her and growing ever since. You have a good and a bad. And if you don't control your, you know, the, the bad side, you consume you. Uh, emotions yeah. can consume and take control. So I, I could buy that. I can definitely buy that. And so Sarah's face coming off definitely is parallel with, uh, in part two, we have Laura Palmer taking her face off. But with Laura Palmer, we see just pure white light <laughs> where Sarah's mm. black and evil and I definitely see there's, a, there's, there's parallels, and I think I want to believe that we're, uh, we got, we got a battle on. we got a, maybe a showdown, possibly, with Laura and her mom. What's been haunting me this whole time is after Laura takes her face off and it's, you know, this, we see this whiteness uh, that she screams and is sucked into the sky. <laughs> and we still have no idea what, what happened there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. And credit to the Diane podcast. Uh, I listened to their take on 14 they pointed out that um they've been interpreting twin peaks and the return more in the western tradition of folktale and mysticism and magic and they realized that perhaps uh that was an error because uh experiment and sarah palmer um and her dark side or the thing behind her face uh they pointed out that that has a lot of callbacks to Kali, which in the Indian mythos is more than just um, the things that the thugs worship in Indiana Jones movies. Um, she is the female version of Shiva. She's the creator and the destroyer. She's um, the eater of souls and a mother. And just like that Trinity um, scene is so connected with the atomic scientists supposedly saying I am become death destroyer of worlds which is from the Bhagavad Gita it's a Shiva quotation well through that's you know the view of a white male scientist who was quoting the Bhagavad Gita because he was having an affair with a graduate student who was studying Indian um, religion actually that's actually true in real life I swear to God that white male Western kind of take on Eastern esotericism you go through the the breach, um, the the crack where we split the atom, and we see something completely different. We see um, something much more like a Kali character, a um, someone creating, um, but creating badly. Series of bubbles, one of which is Bob, others are frickets. It doesn't have a good feeling. In that light, uh, we might see whatever it is that has either possessed or is taken the form of or has merged with Sarah Palmer as something more like a um, a vengeful, uh, dark uh, female energy rather than just being bad. It's got a slightly different uh, motivation than just being evil for evil's sake. 
And then we move on to the roadhouse and some girls talking about Billy. I think that there's one of the girls, maybe that was Audrey's daughter, but she comes out and says that she's, uh, her mom is Tina. Yeah, so it's real and it's current. Yeah, I had it in my head that the whole scenario with uh, Audrey was possibly taking place in the 1940s because everything in that scene with, uh, in those, in those two scenes with Charlie uh, is, uh, not, none of it seems to... Uh, be current with uh, a year past 1950, you know. And uh, what were what are you saying, Carl, about the rotary phones? They don't work anymore. They don't work everywhere anymore. Uh, some exchanges still will interpret um, uh, pulse code mod- modulated um, telephone calls, where it's the number of pulses that indicates the telephone number you're trying to reach. Um, and that was the standard when everything was electromechanical, where it, did, um, it would automatically switch your um, phone to the correct uh, line through the exchange based on uh, how many clicks it makes. And how many clicks it makes is based on how tightly and how far you wind the spring on the, on the rotary dial. And that system was then transponded to the point where computers would count the, the, um, the clicks. But... It's much more efficient to do it based on a tonal system, which is what current phones use. So the old rotary phones won't work on everywhere, um, necessarily. So I know this only because I got into a conversation with a guy on an antique typewriter repair Facebook that is working on a Kickstarter to reintroduce the most uh, prolific rotary phone ever made, which happens to be the same one that is on Charlie's desk. Wow. Wow. That's my story. (laughs) That's why we're tangents. Yeah, that's why we have tangents in our name. (laughs) Like, the little part with them talking at the roadhouse ties up to 12. And you guys, like, someone almost ran me off the road. I think he's talking about Billy was driving sporadically. I think all these little vignettes at the end of each episode Somehow, not all of them, but the majority of them ties to the Billy narrative. And I think that um, in 12, when he's like, some guy ran me off the road, that was Billy. And then we hear more about Billy through Audrey's story. Now we're hearing, yeah, we're, we're getting more information. And we actually, we think we see Billy in the, pri- in the prison cell, in the holding cell. So I, I don't know. I think we might get, like, something this might tie up this whole Billy Audrey thing yeah there's going to be some kind of payoff with her there has to be uh, I mean I guess there doesn't have to be but I, 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 I do have this feeling that they're building up to something it's like this parallel story that just pokes into the primary story every once in a while but it's like something that's running alongside that we're only getting glimpses of and uh, you know and it's taking up enough of the time that uh, that if they don't pay it off, it, do- it doesn't make any sense that it's there, you know. So I imagine that they will. And that's pretty much the end of the part. I mean, we, we have the, the singing performance, and that pretty much wraps it up. Do you guys have any final thoughts about this part? Well, uh, I feel that 12 was, uh, that you know, where that was the one that was kind of stuck. You know, and like there, there was that 20 minutes of the show where it was like we were all frustrated, you know, and everything. I, I have a feeling that that's the pregnant, the pregnant pause at the top of the roller coaster, you know. Because <laughs> yeah, 13 really did feel like, 13 felt like forward momentum and this one felt like falling, you know. So uh, I think that uh, I think we are headed for. I mean, who knows? They might it might face plant again into some you know stasis again in the next part. But I, I have a feeling that we are 
in the home stretch now, and it's going to be uh, just escalating. So we're going to see more and more of these pieces falling into place because what I'm seeing in the other podcasts and on Twitter and stuff like that is that the people that were a little bit miffed, you know, that things weren't moving, uh, they're starting to say, oh, okay, I'm actually starting to feel like things are falling into place now. So I think I think what we're seeing here is a, a good indication that uh, – that it more mind-blowing stuff is coming. Yeah. I agree with Jubal, and I think um, we're on the ledge, um, about to jump into light speed. Um, I think stuff is about to start getting serious quick. What I've been hoping for all along throughout this whole series is that we were going to spend by the end we'd spend so much more time in Twin Peaks, and really, we really this this part was even if you count Gordon. I consider Gordon Cole and Albert really part of Twin Peaks, even though they're not really in Twin Peaks at the time. It's funny to see that we didn't have any of that other characters. It really focused on our characters that we loved. There's always these rumors about like when you know we're going to see a an awakened Cooper, you know, so or at least a, a Cooper with his uh, memories back and. The big theory is that it will be the next one because it's episode, it's 315. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, I love it. It would fit with the key, too, which was delivered, but hasn't been used to open anything yet. So you guys want to talk about your podcast, Counter Esperado? Well, sure. Kind of have been. Uh, with our tangents and stuff like that, it almost feels like we've absorbed you into our sort of rhythm. But <laughs> but uh, the uh, we do ha- we, we have a plan to release an episode probably after part 16. And then after parts 18, we're probably going to give it a week to digest. And then we're going to be starting the whole process of, of breaking it down. I mean, one of the reasons why our, our format is I think is going to work in the future is that we now have all this material that we can continue to spin off through other texts, uh, other you know weird fiction te- you know there's all these themes that are coming up in all these 18 parts that I think that we have years of material. So that's pretty exciting. Even though we're not very prolific, we usually put out a, a full episode once a month, but um, there's not going to be a shortage of ideas, that's for sure. That's true. Yeah. I love that you guys savor it and take your time with it, and there's no rush. I mean, you guys get your show out when you get it out. It's, it's, it's yeah. a really wonderful show that you guys do. Th- thank you so much. Um, hopefully it will start coming out more often um because i've started seeing so many uh connections from uh the return to other pieces of weird fiction uh we're going to producing a lot of readings that will be coming out and that will then uh talk about how their connection runs through um both the new series and the old series and the books and the expanded universe one might say of twin peaks um one of them uh, coming up soon will be a Clark Ashton Smith story called The Beast of Averon. has a little bit to do with um, a werewolves and a little bit to do with um, evil outside of the sphere of Earth being different from Earth-bound evil. Eventually, hopefully, we'll um, see some more Blackwoods and um, a couple of... Uh, the tales of uh, Jules de Grandin um, by Seabury Quinn. Yeah, we've got some cool stuff coming down the pike. Um, there might even be a a tale from Charles Dickens for Christmas, but not the one you're probably expecting. Yeah, and, and a lot of this stuff it'll link it'll link into uh, Twin Peaks because of the uh, you know this this kind of connection where. Um, uh, it, it, 
a lot of this really that we are really pulling from Mark Frost's uh, like wide reading, you know, along these lines, because because, uh, you know, it's a lot of this stuff like that sort of Victorian era uh, fiction, you know, detective fiction and weird fiction is clearly stuff that he pulls from, you know, and, and, and all of these links to the Arthurian legends and stuff like that. So. Uh, we, it's really kind of funny to go back to these people that are maybe less known than than Lovecraft, like like Blackwood and Clark Ashton Smith, but their stories like uh, really uh, feel like the, you know they could be in the Twin Peaks universe sometimes. Carl, I wanted to say uh, on the show, thank you, for, uh, thank your father for uh, doing the reading for part eight for us. That was really cool of you guys to, to work that out for us. He was tickled pink to do it, so you are very welcome. Cool. And where can people find you? Like, how can they find you on Twitter? And if they want to uh, check out your podcast, where, where, where do they go? We'll be on iTunes and most podcatcher apps will find us, you know. Uh, and then we also are, are on Pseudo Spaces. That's P S E U D O S P A C dot E S. Uh, that's kind of our just just sort of our basic website. And then on Twitter, I'm pretty active on there. If there's a tweet, uh, it's it's me doing it, you know, under, but it's a C underscore Esperanto on Twitter. And uh, and that's the easiest way to just sort of reach out really quickly to us. And we have an email up there, too. Yeah, our website is a um, um, it's a URL hack. Um, and the ES is for España. We're not actually in Spain, but we just hosted there. Um, you can uh, hit me up at, at @beachrubble, but you don't have to. Um, I'm probably more likely to respond, sadly, if you send us a physical piece of mail to P.O. Box 13313 at Spokane Valley, Washington, 99213-3313. Yep, there's a bunch of threes in the return, and there's a bunch of threes in our postal address. Well, thank you, Colin and Jubal. We love having you on the show. I hope we can talk to you again after this show is over, and uh, it was was a really good time. Thank you, Counter Esmeralda, for being on today's show. Uh, We're going to skip community feedback this week because the show's gone a little bit long. But we got a very sweet email from James from Tooting, London, England. And I just wanted to say a shout-out to James for sending us that very nice email. I'm not going to read it. I guess we're running out of time. But thank you, James. We appreciate the email. And you can write us at TwinPeaksUnwrapped at gmail.com. Give us your comments, your theories, or just say hi. And uh, we'll definitely... Uh, we might read it on the air. Uh, second point, the second thing I want to bring up before we go, Ben, um, there's a lot of talk about the remaining episodes. The synopsis of each episode got spoiled um, by oh, a, Russian, a Russian hacker. No, a Russian, a Russian platform, the synopsis for a lot of these episodes got uh, put out there. And I, I reached out to Iswit on Reddit, and a lot of people were upset about, you know, saying, well, Reddit, oh, they, they did this. And, and, you know, I was talking to him, and he said, if you're going to come to the Twin Peaks community Reddit page, please do your due diligence and read the, um, the brackets. It would say season three, episode, whatever. 
Now, their rules indicate they could talk about episode 18 if they wanted to, but it would be stated in the header. So, right. the Twin Peaks community on Reddit is still live, and it, it's a good place to go if you want to talk, but please read the brackets. Uh, I just want everyone to know, you might see a leak, but if you read the brackets, you'll know what you're getting into, and they're trying their best. If someone goes onto something else and posts something, they're doing their best to control it and delete anything. So, be careful out there. But the same right, it's not just on Reddit. It's all over the place. So, yeah, we have to be very careful. Yeah. That hopefully it doesn't get spoiled. We're so close to the end. I'm really hoping <laughs> I don't see it. I'm sure everybody that's listening doesn't want to see spoils. Exactly. So be careful. And there's synopsis. So it's not even like people saw the episode and they're writing about it. It's just a quick thing. So there could be spoilers in those. So just be careful. I don't believe there's pictures out there. I could be wrong about that, but I don't believe so. Um, and then the third thing, uh, we got our store up and running to public, obviously, last week. But there's another sale. The sale ends this Friday. T-shirts are 14 bucks. We got a really cool Mr. C over-the-top T-shirt that's going on right now. We got a starring Kyle McLaughlin T-shirt, which we posted. We have a Dougie, a limited Dougie logo shirt that's up there. We have our logo. Uh, a few others. The um, Key Public merch store link is in the show notes. It's also on our webpage at TwinPeaksUnlocked.com. And I'm always posting on Facebook, and we're always posting on Twitter. The sale ends this Friday. 14 bucks for a shirt. Get on there. Get yourself a Mr. C Over the Top t-shirt. Get yourself a Doug Limited Time logo shirt before they're gone. Um, but I think that's about it, Ben. Yeah, and I just want to say thank you to everybody. I know we've been getting sales. People have been, been buying at Public, And thank you to everybody that's been supporting us because – that you know, some of that money goes towards us, and we get to uh, we will use it for the show. I mean, all that money that comes to us will go back into the show somehow. One hundred percent. Yes, this is a way to support us. Um, this is, you know, and if you're an artist and you want to, um, you have an idea for a shirt, please send it to us at TwinPeaksUnwrap at Gmail dot com, and uh, we can make it a shirt, and we'll work with it. I think that'd be awesome. Sending that artwork. Yeah, love yeah I think, I, I think we're, we're, you know, Brian and I are talking about like trying every week to have something new out there. We're, we're going to try yeah. you know, to put something out. Yeah, so who knows? So we'll be back again next week. Let's rock. Let's rock. Oh, 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 oh.